0: The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Zneimer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Financial support for seniors was among the highlights in Tuesday's pre-election federal budget, but it did not include many of the key CARP demands for better pension protection, caregiver benefits, or the easing of mandatory RIF withdrawals. New spending to help millennial homebuyers was announced, along with skills training for working people. Libby Snymer spoke with Laura Tamblin watts chief public policy officer at CARP, a new vision of aging. NDP critic mp peter julian and conservative deputy leader mp lisa rate
2: my take is a lot of spending and my leader did talk about that today it's um, a significant amount 41 billion over six years but as well there's no plan in there to actually make sure the economy grows so we can afford all this spending that's happening mr morneau is assuming that the economy is going to be the same it's more like a goldilocks kind of scenario But you have to put some real work into ensuring that companies are going to be able to create these jobs and grow this economy. And there really is nothing in this budget that gives me comfort that companies are going to be able to do what they need to do.
3: The liberals have always said that they are standing up for the middle class uh, in terms of seniors, uh, they have uh, $1.8 billion to enhance the guaranteed income supplement and $1.7 billion in interest reductions for student loans and some of these new house- housing measures. Uh, what do you make of those?
2: So you know what? Um, a broken clock is right twice a day, I would say. And the, the reality is I do believe that when seniors are allowed to keep more of their money because they're going out and earning more of their money, that's good policy. So I will give them that. I I like what they've done in terms of the guaranteed income supplement because I know from seniors who want to go out and have a part-time job that keeping more of that money instead of losing their supplement is very attractive. Fully
3: understand that. Let's go to MP Peter Julian, who is the new Democratic Party critic on energy and finance. What is your take on the budget? Very very disappointing.
4: And we saw it last November that the, the federal Liberal government put aside $14 billion in tax cuts to Canada's uh, richest corporations. And what we saw in the budget yesterday was actually, if we just look at the the year in question, because the budget is only one year, it's not the promises that the government makes that they'll eventually do, they think, or promise to do in five or ten years. If you just look at the coming year, there is very, very little that will make a difference for Canadians that are struggling under record family debt loads that are that are fighting to find affordable housing, and affordable housing is in crisis in many parts of this country. Indigenous communities have been left aside, and in terms of, of funding to make the transition to to a clean energy economy, uh, or even to put in place uh, a pharmacare program so that people can actually afford the medication that their doctors prescribe to them, the budget doesn't doesn't just fall short it does virtually nothing to help all of those Canadians so what we have is a government that seems to be doing very much what the conservatives did which was hand out a lot of money to Canada's richest corporations without really putting into place the foundations that make a difference in the lives of regular people
3: let us now bring in Laura Tamblin Watts from CARP, the big ticket item for your members is the $1.8 billion that the Liberals are spending on the GIS supplement.
5: It is a key win for us. We've been very concerned, and one of our national platform asks is to ease the GIS clawback, which is the guaranteed income supplement for very low-income seniors. So what it does is it adds an exemption of about $2,500, so there's a, a higher threshold, and after that, there was that easing of the clawback for the next 10 to $15,000. So that's really gonna make a difference in the lives of seniors. What we didn't get is all of what we wanted in terms of the pension protections. So GIS, yes. And for the pension protection, we got about half of what we wanted. So what was included were our asks for greater transparency, greater accountability, greater governance, and where a fund faces uh, bankruptcy to have the obligation for companies to send that money into an insurance, which would pay an annuity. So those are all good first steps. They did not, however, go all the way you guaranteeing the funds be fully funded. So there's more to do on that in this election period.
1: That was Laura Tamblin watts Chief Public Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging, NDP critic MP Peter Julian, and Conservative MP and Deputy Leader of the Opposition, Lisa Rait. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Josh Matlow is a community advocate and Toronto City Councillor for Toronto St. Paul's. He served as a school trustee representing the Midtown Toronto Riding of St. Paul's between 2003 and 2010 at the Toronto District School Board. On October 25th, 2010, Matlow was elected to Toronto City Hall. He joined Libby in studio to talk about his advocacy for seniors, transit, his city charter initiative, along with reaction to the federal budget.
0: I think there is a lot of generosity in this budget for cities in Canada. I think Toronto is going to do well off this budget. Um, I say that with a caveat, though, that I believe that major cities in Canada and, and urban areas across the the, the country, where over eighty percent of us live, really need rather than having ad hoc investments every budget, to have a long term sustainable financial plan where we know that the federal government and the provincial government contributes to our priorities, whether it be uh, you know basic uh, state of re- state of good repair infrastructure needs, or um, important transit infrastructure projects, such as building the relief line and moving forward with our evidence-based projects.
3: You are chair of Toronto Seniors Strategy. Yes. So uh, presumably some of this money will go to that. Where are we at in terms of making Toronto age-friendly? So
0: I I was elected uh, for the first time in 2010. And the very next year, the first major initiative that I brought forward to council was to create a senior strategy. Uh, there are a number of components of this strategy. Um, what we do know is that um, uh, the demographics are changing and aging and that we should do what government t- typically hasn't been good at, which is to proactively create a plan for what we know is coming rather than reacting after something happens. Um What we hear from seniors across the city is that health, transportation and housing are their three top priorities part of health obviously is safety and road safety. And I would like to see us invest more into our city to ensure that we redesign and reconfigure our streets so that we don't just have isolated senior safety zones, as we call them, but that we actually go out and we try to create a safer city. Because if you do that, you create a safer city for young parents who are racing across a, you know, a street with their stroller or, or somebody in their 40s in a wheelchair. Uh, I would say the same when it comes to transportation. Uh, we need to make sure that when we make decisions about where we uh, have bus routes, that we consider how far people with mobility challenges are going to be able to go. The same as we time our traffic signals. Housing is a critical need for so many people in the city, but there are many seniors who are struggling to make ends meet. There are over 100,000 people waiting for social housing, for example. There's typically an eight to 10 year waiting list to even access an affordable unit. So if you're somebody in your 70s or 80s, you may not live long enough to ever be able to access a home that you can afford. There there are issues that we hear about all the time with respect to ageism, um, seniors try to get jobs, for example.
3: Yeah, that's huge. What would you like to leave us with? Well, you know,
0: you and I had a conversation about, uh, what I've been proposing at the city, which is a charter for the city of Toronto. And I'll end with this. Um, there's one thing that Doug Ford and I will agree on. He says that Toronto can't get anything done. Well, there's a reason for that because legally we're not allowed to get a lot of things done that most residents expect that Toronto, that Toronto city council should be able to do. um, Unlike cities like Chicago and cities throughout the United States that have like mini constitutions charters that give them purview power over, for example, their elections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, revenue, land use planning. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the province has the last say over a lot of the development. debates oh, yeah, we yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if the expectations that we have? of our city council could actually be met with the powers to actually make decisions and get on with strong mayor done. strong city well strong city i mean we can debate over should it be strong mayor strong council etc but ultimately shouldn't our our city hall our local representatives have the ability to make decisions about what we expect of them and then if they don't do a good job we hold them to account Right now, we expect that they have uh, decision-making powers over their elections. No, at the end of the day, the province gets to decide. Revenue, them, land use, them. I think we need a better governance structure.
1: That was Toronto City Councillor and Seniors Advocate, Josh Matlow. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Mayor John Tory is promising to reduce the number of pedestrian and cyclist deaths in this city to zero under his new plan, Vision Zero 2.0. The revised plan includes a promise to lower speed limits and crack down on speeding motorists after a year when there were 41 pedestrian deaths in Toronto, 16 of those in Scarborough. City Councilor Brad Bradford of Ward 19 Beaches East York joined Libby with his reaction along with news of an upcoming pop-up demonstration in his ward.
6: I think Division 0 02.0 is really a response to the data and the information that we got back from the Scarborough study, seeing exactly what you were talking about, those long distances between crossings, uh, the, um, the additional risks to seniors in our community, some of those wide arterial roads with higher speeds, and uh, you know the, the 41 fatalities uh, that we had last year.
3: What does it take to put up one of those mid-street crossings? Does it take a long time? Does it cost a lot of money? Or is it no big deal?
6: It's, uh... Well, it's something different, right? And and we are in a big bureaucratic organization here at City Hall. Uh, so all of these things uh, are are things that need to be worked through. It, it requires changes to bylaws. Um, it's something that has to be done in consultation with the community, of course, transportation services, uh, Toronto police, um, a lot of people need to be involved. But I think it's something that the mayor uh, and city council is very committed to. And, and frankly, when we look at the information, when we look at the data, we know that uh, there's a lot of of kilometer lanes in Toronto where this would make a lot of sense and hopefully would save lives.
3: There are a lot of road safety advocates who say, hey, in the city it should be 30 kilometers an hour everywhere. We have different speed limits here. Uh, I don't think anyone is thinking of reducing the speed on those arterial roads where these are a problem. So uh, what is the thinking on that?
6: Well, I think that there is good, again, back to the evidence, back to the data. Um, We know that each 10 10 kilometer per hour increment uh, makes a big difference in the chances of uh, an individual's survival rate, pedestrian survival rate with a collision with a vehicle. So it is something that we have to look at and Vision Zero 2.0 will be focusing on that. Um, You know, we will be looking at speed limit reductions across the city where it makes sense. you know, Some of our arterial roads, of course, are 60 kilometers an hour, uh, and your chance of survival rate uh, plummets significantly at 60 kilometers an hour, uh, above and beyond, say, 50 or 40 kilometers an hour. So it's something that we're looking at, but it is a case-by-case basis. Uh, and the photo radar will be, you know, a big part of that as well. That's something that Vision Zero 2.0 is calling for. Uh, our work continues with the province um, and, and really trying to finalize provincial regulations for photo radar to be deployed in Toronto. We, of course, started piloting that. Um, and what we found is, is some of the, the speeds that are taking place on our streets are, are crazy. Um, you yeah, know, let's, I think- uh,
3: let's go over some of those. I think it was somebody was clocked at 200 clicks an hour on Renforth yeah. and 147 on Queen Street somewhere. I mean, I, you know, from when I'm on those roads, I don't even know how you could. Well, that that's exactly it. Like we all, you know,
6: I, I drive uh, as well and, and you can sit in traffic on rush hour and you're like, how, how is that possible? Um, but I think it's it's in those hours where there is uh less of the congestion, you know the streets do open up and you've got these wide arterial roads later in the evening, perhaps early in the morning um and you know you don't have a mid block crossing and when it looks like a highway. Sometimes people tend to drive like a highway on it. So, uh, yeah, you saw speeds over 200 kilometers, 150 k on Wilson, 130 uh, k on Dufferin. Like these, th- it's all over the city. It's it's not one one area or the other. But the fact that we have this technology in place um, now, we're having the information, and uh, and it's been shocking. So we need to respond to that, and we're working with the province to make sure that uh, we can have the regulations in place to have photo radar deployed uh, across Toronto.
3: You're going to be having a pop- pop-up to show us what an intersection like that will look like, correct?
6: Yeah, it's not an intersection, but it's a, it's a stretch of Danforth, a block there um, from Woodbine to Woodmount. So it's it's a Vision Zero pop-up, and what we're doing, uh, we've asked staff to report back in May on how uh, what this might look like. But we're working with an organization called Eight to Eighty Cities. Really, the idea is if you design a city that works for an eight-year-old and an eighty-year-old, it'll work for everyone in between. And really, looking at some of these um, these Vision Zero um, features that can make our streets safer for everyone. So that's uh, that's pedestrian uh, mid-block crossings like we were talking about um, that's protected areas for pedestrians wider sidewalks uh, cafe spillout zones patios uh, all that stuff it also really you know has an opportunity to enhance businesses and in places where they've done this you, you get much more foot traffic through the stores people feel safer um, but we're gonna look at doing uh, a weekend pop-up this summer so it'll just be uh, for two days on Danforth uh, but really give people an opportunity to come out to the community see what some of this stuff looks like and experience the in a different way.
1: That was City Councilor Brad Bradford on Vision Zero 2.0. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The federal conservatives staged a political filibuster in the House of Commons this past week that lasted 30 hours to oppose a decision by the liberal majority to end the Justice Committee's investigation of the SNC-Lavalin affair. Libby was joined on the phone by conservative leader Andrew Scheer on Thursday while the filibuster was still going on.
7: I think that it's absolutely going to stay top of mind because the story Uh, keeps evolving. More and more details keep coming to light. And the reason why it's captivated attention from Canadians is because Justin Trudeau stands accused of undermining our justice system, of violating the principles of the rule of law. The idea that everyone in Canada is treated equally, that the well-connected and powerful don't get a special deal because they know the right people in Ottawa. Uh, You know, the, the fact that so many people have come to Canada fleeing countries where Powerful politicians abuse the rule of law, abuse the justice system to reward friends and punish enemies. Uh, That that has caused great concern among the Canadian people. And I don't believe they're going to let Justin Trudeau get away with it.
3: What do you make of the CEO of uh, SNC Lavalin's remarks? He said he never brought up the issue that jobs may be at risk if they did not get the deferred Prosecution. My take on that is that well, maybe he didn't, but you know, I bet his lobbyists did.
7: Well, uh, in fact, that was a bombshell. That was a bombshell that has rocked uh, Ottawa. I can tell you when that when that video surfaced, uh, Liberal MPs in the House looked pretty gloomy. But they were already feeling pretty shameful having to spend around uh, their time around the clock covering up for Justin Trudeau, and now when the main point of Justin Trudeau's excuse for breaking the rules and applying that inappropriate pressure was basically blown up by the man in charge of SNC-Lavalin. I mean his quote was 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 so condemning of Justin Trudeau. He said he was asked point blank, "Where did they get that idea from?" and he said, "I don't know where people make that stuff up." So clearly, this was a fabrication. Uh I believe that it was something Justin Trudeau said to Jody Wilson-Raybould to get her to do his bidding. And if that's true, if he knowingly told something to, ju- to to the Attorney General that was false, that could very well be a crime. Providing false information to the Attorney General in order to change the course of justice is covered by sections of the criminal code that speak about interference in the course of justice. You know, we're, we're looking at situations south of the border is a good example, and uh, countries around the world led by dictators where they, they interfere they, 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 they get judges and, and attorneys general to to, to to change the rules or to grant special deals and now it looks like it was try, it was attempted to happen in Canada. Thank goodness some strong principled people stood up to Justin Trudeau
3: uh, you've come under fire for immediately calling for uh, Justin Trudeau's resignation. Uh, how do you respond to that?
7: Well, I believe every day that goes by, my, my position has been validated. Uh, let, let's never forget that Justin Trudeau stood up in front of 35 million Canadians the day the story broke and said something that wasn't true. He misled Canadians. He was asked point blank about these allegations, and he said that they were completely false. He then went on to say that at no time did he even put pressure on Jody Wilson-Raybould. At no time did she ever bring her concerns to him. That has been proven to be false. He now admits to putting pressure on her, but now is trying to hide behind the bizarre excuse that she experienced it differently. Well, what does he have to say about the fact that he told something to Canadians that just wasn't true? I believe that the office of Prime Minister needs to be occupied by people who have a higher threshold for ethics and accountability. And as the story unfolds, as he uses and abuses the power of his office to shut down investigations, to silence his accusers, I believe he demonstrates each and every day he has lost the moral authority to hold that office.
3: Where does this go from here?
7: Well, uh, we're going to continue to use the tools available to us, but in reality... Trudeau has only really shown he, he's not moved by principle. He's not moved by, by logic or the power the power of ideas. He's moved by political consequences. Uh, that's obviously what drove him to interfere in this court case anyway. So I believe that now the ball is really in the in the hands of Canadians. When Canadians express their outrage and put that and and, and express that to Liberal politicians and 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 the Prime Minister, I believe we may be able to force him to make a move to allow. The testimony to be completed. So I'm hoping that Canadians will contact their Member of Parliament, tell them that they're not going to stand for it, tell Justin Trudeau that our courts, our justice system, our democratic institutions belong to Canadians, not the Liberal Party of Canada.
1: That was federal conservative leader Andrew Scheer. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Bill in East York phoned to share his frustration over trying to make Toronto streets safer.
4: Every time I turn around, it just seems the answer is to spend more money on it. The bike lanes on Woodbine are are a disaster. The the cars are now physically parked out in the street. You've Mm -hmm. got a hydro pole. You've got cars parked out. You're actually visually impaired from seeing what's coming. The speed is the problem. And it's not the uh, 200k an hour guy. It's the guy doing 60, 65 in the 40, coming along in front of a park where the road bends and nobody can see. And you know what? Nobody acts upon that stuff. It's just more lights, more speed bumps.
1: Paul in Etobicoke called to say he doesn't blame drivers for the number of pedestrian deaths that continue to rise.
4: The speed limit was lowered to 40 to get rid of pedestrian fatalities and problems with pedestrians getting hit. Now they want to lower it even further Doesn't that tell you that it's not about the speed? The speed didn't work. It's pedestrians who are crossing the street, mid-street, too lazy to walk five minutes to the light and five minutes back. I mean, that's just plain laziness. And I think it's a matter of education, not penalizing drivers, not backing up traffic because everything is slowed down. Crosswalks and lowering the speed would just make traffic worse in Toronto.
1: Anne in Pickering called to share her experience of ageism in the workplace.
8: I was a law clerk for many, many years and really honed my you know, expertise. And I was actually asked to join a lawyer, as they moved, they asked me to move along with them. I felt like I was indispensable. I had an expertise in family law, and as a couple of months went along, they hired uh, younger people. Um, and as time went on, um, I became marginalized, and less and less work came to me. And then about six months before my 70th birthday, I was called into their office. And uh, they told me that they had evolved into a firm that just didn't need a law clerk of my caliber. It wasn't a, really a surprise because you could see the change in their attitude over time. It wasn't work-related. It was more of a culture change.
1: And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. Great calls, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Ron in Georgina, who shared his thoughts on which guns should be banned and why.
4: I've been a hunter my whole life, and there's no reason for anybody to own an automatic weapon. You don't go hunt rabbits with an AK-47. Automatic weapons should only be used in the Army or the police force. They've only ever been made to kill human beings.
1: That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend will we'll round up the best of Fight Back.
0: You've been listening to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Produced for MZ Media Limited by Michelle Saunders. Technical producer, Justin Ecock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer.